Combo Nation. I know, I know, I know. There was no intro on the last pod. But we're back, man. We are here, Combo Nation. We are here. Combo Nation! (laughs) What is up, everyone? And welcome to episode 448 of Combo's Court. And I am Combo. Don't forget to rate, review, and punch down on that subscribe button if you haven't already. Today's show, Jason Timpf of the Volumes Hoops Tonight joins in to talk about the LeBron-MJ debate. Will the Lakers make the playoffs with their improved roster? Are the Warriors done? And more. Just a fantastic conversation with Jason of Hoops Tonight. Go subscribe to Hoops Tonight wherever you listen to podcasts. Intro music by Luca Beats. Let's get into it. Back on the show, a fan favorite at Combo's Court. What's the vibes, man? Dude, it's good to see you, man. Uh, have you? Can you remember in recent history of basketball weekend as fun as that one? It's crazy. I don't even know if you're thinking about all the games I'm thinking about because there was that Michigan State game where it was like 33 combined points in 90 seconds. The Kings game <laughs> was ridiculous. Like, I haven't seen a team with no quit quite like that in a long time, right? Like, they were supposed to lose that game. Three times. Three times, exactly. They were down 14 with, like, five minutes left, and they were down six in both overtimes. (laughs) Like, what are the chances of that mathematically, like, if you're just looking at the numbers? When's the last time we've seen something like that? Exceedingly low. The chances are exceedingly low. And And that was, like, what, the seventh coolest game of the weekend? I mean, we had... Thankfully, I wasn't at this one, but I had a couple friends who were there. But Arizona State beat Arizona on a half-court heave. Uh, we had that Celtics-Sixers game on Saturday night. That was ridiculous. Lakers come back from 27 down to beat the Mavericks. The uh, Warriors last night were down double digits in the fourth quarter, came back to win. The Clippers were down 24-8 to eight and came back to send that game to OT. Like It was just, dude, I had so much fun watching hoops this weekend. There's so much to talk about. There is. Let's start with the Lakers, even though I know on your show, people sometimes get upset with you, right? It's too Lakers-centric, but they got to understand that you started out as a Lakers guy, right? Covering the Lakers. Yeah, and well, and here's the thing. I always just tell people, like, I'm doing like six episodes a week. So, yeah, if 50% of them are covering the Warriors and Lakers or 50% of the overall content, then you're still getting a whole lot of stuff covering the rest of the league. Those are just – it's really just I'm a fan of the Lakers and they have a big – more a fan of LeBron. I don't have a fan. I'm not a fan of any specific team, but so I cover that team very closely because I want to. And then the Warriors, it's a business thing. They just have such a huge fan base. It'd be foolish not to. And obviously, we do this to try to make some money. So, uh, yeah. but I, 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 I get into the weeds as much as I can on the other teams. And you know how it is, man. There's just always people that are going to be upset no matter what you do. Um, but I will say this: 
to have the Lakers winning big time nationally televised games again and looking like the frightening defensive team that I haven't seen since 2021. Um, it's got me, it's got me feeling optimistic. If it wasn't for this damn foot issue with LeBron, which is, uh, got me worried that he's going to be out on Tuesday in, in Memphis, I'd be probably a lot more optimistic about the Lakers. I didn't want to start with this at all. And I don't want to get too deep into this, but there's going to become a time where when we're looking at, I'm sorry to talk about this, Jason, the LeBron MJ debate. I don't know why this came in my head right now, but it's like, it just <laughs> did. It, it's like, there's going to be a time and I think it's e- extremely close, but there will be a time where the Jordan camp is really just like hanging on, just, just hanging on. Cause you know, in my opinion, I have to say LeBron James is the greatest basketball player in the history of the NBA. That I can't quite go there. And I'm as big a LeBron fan as you'll find. I lie. I'm lying. I'm not as big of a LeBron fan as you'll find. There are guys out there. Well, yeah, there's probably some guy with like a there's probably some guy out there with like a LeBron tattoo on his chest or something. Yeah, exactly. There was that guy last year on Twitter that did the Ten Commandments of LeBron fans. I don't know if you remember that one. There's yeah, there's some guys out there that are at another level. But um, I will say, like, I'm a huge LeBron fan. And to me, it's just the dominance. Like in 2012, 2013-ish, you could say LeBron was definitively by himself atop the league. But outside of that, there's always been guys who were his peers. Now, I would say LeBron was better than Steph and better than KD, but by some small margin in that 2016 to 2020 range. Whereas, like, it was blasphemy to bring another player into MJ's conversation, basically the entire nineties. And uh, I've seen a lot of LeBron fans use that as a, to, in a, as a way to denigrate him and to say like, Oh, he didn't play against any competition, but I don't look at it that way. I look at it as like, you have what the NBA looks like in your era and you work hard relative to that. And MJ was such a psychopath that even though he was so much better than everybody, he kept pushing that limit to the point where he was just clearly better than everybody. Imagine if, in this league, Steph, KD, LeBron, blah, 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 blah. If Giannis just for like 10 years was just head and shoulders better than those guys. That's kind of the way I look at it. Yeah, I think there's some truth. There's a lot of truth to what you're saying, and there's some truth to what they're saying about the competition. Now, to say he didn't have any competition is absolutely ridiculous. But I would say that there's more all-star level players now than ever. Like, I think, like, Jordan Clarkson, he kind of snuck into an all-star game this year, right? In some ways. Like, he's not a guy you think about when you think about all-star players. But I feel like there's more guys like that now than when MJ was playing. Like, we get this guy in the right situation, and maybe this guy isn't in the right situation. Now this guy's an all-star, you know? There wasn't as many of those guys when Jordan was playing. I I hear you. I do think some of that has to do with the way the game has changed. So I'm actually going to – we're going to go completely off script here. I've got a question (laughs) for you. Okay. Uh, Yeah, this this whole rundown is probably going to be way different. So uh, Dame dropped 71 last night. And uh, uh, Eddie Gonzalez, the guy who does the podcast with Kevin Durant, he uh, presented this question last night. I've been thinking a lot about it today. And I'm going to talk about it a little bit on my show, but I'm curious your thoughts. What is your explanation – for the explosion in individual scoring? Because I have a theory, but I'm curious what yours is. I mean, players' skill set is the biggest one. Players are just more weaponized than ever before. I think skill development, which could actually be a detriment to some players at lower levels because they become skill development robots, I think has helped the greatest players and the best players playing the game today. And 
there's just so much they have in the bag. It's really tough to guard them. You know, that's, that's, that's what I think the biggest thing is. Now we could go to the physicality, but I do think that's overstated how much the physicality is like was way crazier back then. I think the game is still physical today. I agree. I, I, the physicality thing is like a is, is a whole separate animal, but I think I just think defenses are better now, so I'm not going to give them that as a uh, as an excuse S- for the S- scoring. Systematically, right? They're well, better now, and also just the sheer amount of length and athleticism yes, and yes. the way that the way yes. that people move around from a mobility standpoint. But so here's my theory. I think that there is a disconnect now between what coaches think is a bad shot and what actually is a bad shot. So, for instance, the vast majority of NBA coverages are designed to concede pull-up jump shots at the expense of taking away the rim. And in many cases, those wide-open catch-and-shoot threes on the back end, right? That's kind of the fundamental idea of what drop coverage is. Like, if we chase him over the top of the screen, we'll take away that easy pull-up three, but we'll chase him downhill. And if he goes downhill, he's going to run into our rim protector. But hey, if he takes a if he takes a floater, if he takes a pull-up something in the in the in the middle, then we're okay with that. And what I think is the problem there is these these players are so damn good now that that's actually a good shot for them. And then they get mm-hmm. their rhythm on the easy shots that they get early in the game from that stuff. And then they start to go to those, those tougher shots. And so I think we're careening towards an all switching league with, with many fewer centers that don't, that can't cover on the perimeter. And the main reason why is I think a lot of these coaches are going like, yeah, you know, they just made tough shots tonight. They just made tough shots tonight. And eventually they're going to be like, oh, wait, they're all making the tough shots. We're going to have to do something different than just letting these guys come free and clear off of ball screens. Like, I think I think Dame lighting up Shangoon last night in the first quarter or first half is a great example of that. Like, you just can't run these kinds of coverages on these guys anymore. That's my theory. Yeah, I feel like, you know, it's interesting that you say that about everybody's going to need to switch, but every trend has a tipping point. Man, I'm going off on a lot of tangents today. So Robert, <laughs> so, so Robert Green, Robert Green wrote a book called Human Nature, and he talks about how all trends have a tipping point because if they didn't, it, we would just go into utter chaos. Like if the Roaring Twenties never stopped, like it would just be crazy parties. Everybody would die. It would just so. <laughs> so it's like the crazy tangent. So it's like there will be a point if it does go to that that there's going to be some Shaq type player to end all of it, right? Like he's just going to dominate everybody down low. And there's a little bit of that with Giannis now. Well, and Embiid and Jokic. I think, I think yes, in general, yes. like, I, I mean, like of one of, one of the counterpoints that MJ fans uh, will present about the nineties is they go like, Hey, like most of MJ's peers, quote unquote, like the really good players in the league next to him were bigs, you know, guys mm-hmm. like Patrick Ewing, Akeem Olajuwon, Carl Malone, even Charles Barkley. Right. And so I think, I think that's kind of like a, a, a valid point from the standpoint of, of just the, the way that as the league has progressed now towards all of this perimeter talent and teams going smaller and going with more length and athleticism over interior size, like guys like Jokic and Embiid just don't have to face many people that are his and, size. And how about Luka and LeBron once they get in the lane? Yeah. Oh, exactly. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. LeBron, like yeah. LeBron, I, I, there's another case to make that the the late prime of LeBron's career has so much to do with the fact that his skill set combined with his size and strength just naturally fit into this era of mismatch attacking basketball. But like, I'll give you an example. So like Denver struggled really bad in Memphis the other night because Xavier Tillman was guarding Nikola Jokic and he did like a pretty damn good job of 
fighting him off of his spots and avoiding switches and, and keeping them in uh, uh, in situations where they didn't have to overhelp. And like Xavier Tillman kind of represents an archetype of big that you just don't see around the league very much anymore. And the main reason why is because on the other end of the floor, he's too damn slow to run drop coverage. And so teams will kill him on the other end of the floor. But like that body type is what you need to guard the Jokic's and Embiid's of the league. And so it's just kind of like this interesting conundrum now where all of these thin rim protecting centers are getting destroyed by Jokic and Embiid. And like you said, these big forwards that can punish people in the post. So yeah, it's like, I do think we are reaching a tipping, a tipping point though. And every time in NBA history that offenses have started to go a little bit off the tracks, defenses have adjusted and brought offensive ratings back down. The league average offensive rating right now is about 114, which is the highest it's ever been. I do think you'll see that tick down in the coming years as defenses adjust. So staying on the Lakers, even though we went off on all kinds of tangents, I mean, I think this team from a skill standpoint is obviously so much better. The fit is great. They don't have to play great to be in games and win games anymore. There's more margin for error. Um, I think you've been critical of their front office in the past. Does this make them seem a little bit more competent? Well, again, everything is like (sighs) Rob Palenka has made good moves in his time as, as general manager. He did an unbelievable job at this trade deadline. That's just a fact, you know, but it's like that undid a lot of damage that was done by him not filtering out the Russell Westbrook trade or him uh, uh, refusing to sign a player over six foot six there for a while, right? Who could play on the perimeter or, you know, even little things over the years, like, you know, trading, uh, uh, not not seeing the value in Brooke Lopez before they sent him off to Milwaukee when Brooke literally wanted to be a Laker, you know, losing Julius Randle without getting anything back for the asset. There are a bunch of examples throughout this time. It's been a very up and down experience with Rob. And, you know, even with this most recent one, there's the problem with waiting, right? Like, okay, so LeBron has been dealing with a bunch of physical stuff this season. And a big part of that is in the middle portion of the season, he had to hit the Jets for like two months because Anthony Davis was out and the rest of the roster wasn't very talented. And he did his job. And they actually had a winning record over that span. I don't think LeBron has gotten nearly enough credit for the way he played up until he broke the scoring record. Obviously, since then, he's been in and out of the lineup. Um, but that that stretch of basketball was a necessity of the fact that Rob Polinka did not make the moves this summer. Now, this summer, you get Buddy Heald, Miles Turner, most likely if they pull the trigger on that trade, you end up spending one additional first-round draft pick, but you can still flip Patrick Beverly for Mo Bamba. You can still flip Kendrick Nunn for Ruby Hachimura. There were opportunities to make these kinds of moves on the uh, on the margins within this trade deadline. So the way I look at it is, you know, LeBron goes down last night, and it was kind of like a non-contact thing. Did you see that play? Yeah, he said it popped, and then he came back and played. I think I think like a LeBron hater would say that um he did that for his narrative. Let me let me He's say being I, dramatic. Let me say it popped, and then I can come back and win this game. You know. Well, you know what I was thinking too. You know how sometimes like when you stretch an ankle ankle ligament, it makes kind of a popping sound when it stretches. Yeah, it could just be an air. Like it could be air. Like you know, if I twist my back, I mean, we might hear something pop. It's not. It doesn't mean anything terrible happened. Right? Yeah, like a nitrogen bubble, I think is what they call them, or something like that. Yeah, because I, I I walk around my damn house like an old man with my feet popping every time I right. step. You know what I mean? Right. Right. So, and, and when but, you're younger, you're like, what is that? But as you get older, you kind of know what an okay pop is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but and yeah. he did, and he didn't even try to come out of the game so clearly he he knew it wasn't that bad but he was limping pretty bad after the game and then that was his right foot and he's been having all these issues with the left foot so my point is is like 
round of applause to Rob Polinka. He did an amazing job. Jared Vanderbilt has been the, that wing defensive piece that they just haven't had over the course of the last couple of years. Malik Beasley and D'Angelo Russell bring in that offensive skill. Mo Bamba is like a matchup dependent kind of guy, but the price you paid was yeah. you leaned so heavily on LeBron that now you're in this situation where you're concerned about whether or not his body can hold up as, as opposed to being fresh for the home stretch. Do you like their chances to make the playoffs and escape the play-in, go above the play-in? I'll be 100% clear. If LeBron James and Anthony Davis are healthy and playing at a superstar level, I think they are a top-tier Western Conference contender. That's how good I think that team is. They have, when, you com- when you combine Jared Vanderbilt with Anthony Davis and a healthy LeBron James defensively on the front line, especially with some of the ball pressure wrinkles they can go to, because they've got the offensive backcourt stuff with D'Angelo Russell and Malik Beasley, but they can go to like Austin Reeves and Dennis Schroeder and hit a defensive, like Dennis Schroeder did a masterful job on Kyrie Irving yesterday. And so like they can hit a defensive level that is arguably the best in the Western Conference. Like uh, because of the John Morant problem and uh, Steven Adams and some of his matchup stuff uh on the perimeter memphis has some holes defensively you know denver certainly has some lower level defensive players in their rotation and um golden state has issues with perimeter size right now so like i think that they can get to that level the question is is i think there's a better than coin flip chance that lebron or ad break down so i do not think that the lakers are going to go on some sort of run because i think they're going to break down but if if it's the first round and they're the seven seed, and they're going to Memphis, I would probably pick the Lakers to win that series. Yeah, I just tweeted about AD, and I feel like when you watch him play and he's healthy at his best, it feels like his opponents start to shrink in size. Like, he he really looks like Will Chamberlain sometimes. Dude, there's nothing really like him in the gap between, like, his good games and his iffy games. Because... They said it in the broadcast yesterday, and everyone has said this. I've said this. It's not some sort of unique opinion. But, like, when Anthony Davis is right, he's the best. He looks every bit as good as the best players in the world. Like, when he's hitting those little short jump shots like he was in that fourth quarter last night, and when he's protecting the rim and switching out onto the perimeter and closing out on shooters the way he was last night, offensive rebound, putbacks, like, just when he's like that – he is every bit as impactful as the best players in the league. It's just the problem is, is you're getting that like maybe one out of every eight or nine games over the course of the last two years. And that's just over the the course of the last three years. And so that's, what's been really tough. Like he went in and just single-handedly obliterated the Phoenix Suns, him and LeBron obliterated the Phoenix Suns in game two and game three. And then he immediately broke down, you know, to start this season, he went on that ridiculous run where he goes into Philly or goes into Washington and puts up 50 something. And then he gets sick in the next game and leaves early. And then he gets in foul trouble against Philly and then he's hurt and then he's out of the line. So it's like, they just can't like what you saw last night, Anthony Davis, best player on the floor by a mile, just a monster game. Like there's just a very small chance that he does that over the next 10 games, let alone two months. You know what I mean? Yeah. I was asked on a Sacramento, on a Sacramento radio show, if the warriors are cooked. So (laughs) I'd like to ask you because you're very knowledgeable when it comes to this basketball team, are they cooked? Do they have a chance still to win a championship? I would say things are not looking good, but in my opinion, they have the highest ceiling when it comes to offense in the NBA, when everything's clicking. That's, 
that's an interesting way to characterize it. I think, um, I think that every time this season that I've wanted to get off that bandwagon for one reason or for one reason or another, they do something like last night where they're down what their three best players, Draymond Green, Andrew Wiggins, and Steph Curry, and beat a Western Conference playoff team at home just because of the fact that they do have a ton of offensive talent down the roster. We look at um, Jordan Poole and Clay Thompson. And then, dude, they were like pretty damn good defensively down the stretch with their execution because they're one of the most well-coached teams in the league. They were alternating between man and zone down the stretch. Their rotations were really sharp. They made a bunch of plays at the rim defensively to force turnovers and, and miss layups and get out the other way. And so they kind of like get me to buy back in because it really is this simple. Top six, Steph, Clay, Andrew Wiggins, Draymond Green, Kevon Looney, Jordan Poole. You've got a decent bench now because of how Dante DiVincenzo has been playing. Gary Payton mm-hmm. coming back when he when he uh, gets uh, starts to feel better. Jonathan Kaminga is kind of like that athletic wild card. And then Jermichael Green's been playing really well for them. So they've got the pieces. Really, it's this simple. They've had to play like 2,500 possessions this year with both of Steph Curry and Andrew Wiggins off the floor because of injuries. And I think that that often clouds our judgment. Like, even, watch with the Lakers, dude. There's going to be, even if they keep winning, there's going to be teams like, oh, they're the 10th seed. Oh, they're the 11th seed. And it's like, well, what you're forgetting is they've been down one or both of their best players for a good chunk of the season. Same goes for the Warriors. But it's the exact same predicament as the Lakers. They have to hit the Jets now for the rest of the season. Can Steph stay healthy? Can Draymond stay healthy? Can Andrew Wiggins stay healthy? That's where that like margin for error disappears because teams like Denver and teams like Boston and Milwaukee can ease their way in. If Jokic tweaked his ankle tomorrow, they'd shut him down for two weeks because what's the point? We've got the one seed. You know what I mean? That's that's the flexibility that's not there for the Warriors. Let's end with Westbrook. How do you feel it's looked so far? Not a big sample size at all. Um, he started. That's interesting, in my opinion, that they started him. I do think the coaching fit to player is really good because Ty Lue is great at adjustments. He's great with lineups. And I think it he could actually help them. Actually, as a whole, I thought their trade deadline moves were pretty good, right? Like, I like the players that they brought in. So how do you feel Westbrook will fit with this Clippers team? Yeah, Plumlee's been really good, too. He was pretty damn good down the he's a good player plumley's yeah. a good player yeah he was switching out onto denver's guards and getting stops yeah, he was he's crashing good, the glass everywhere he's good um the the russ thing is a much more natural fit and and that's the thing like russ is a classic big strengths big weaknesses kind of guy like he's actually still one of the best you know switching guards defensively that we have in the league because of his strength and his competitiveness and athleticism he's still one of the best guards in the league at pressuring the rim he's still one of the best passers in the league right those that's all just facts especially the, the three, especially the three point shooters exactly but yeah. he's got these glaring weaknesses and so one of the underplayed elements of the lakers thing which by the way all lakers fans knew before the deal was it's just not a very complimentary fit offensively there and so like I, what I've liked is so far the Clippers have used him right, with exception of that I, I didn't agree with playing him in the crunch uh, in the clutch game against uh, Sacramento. They were double teaming off of him. He made a critical defensive mistake at the end of the game. But outside of that, like I think he's been really good, and it's good to see him playing with players that actually have sk- skill sets that complement him. For starters, Paul George and Kawhi Leonard both kind of prefer to be set up in their spots. 
as opposed to bring the ball up the floor the way LeBron does in run offense, right? So it's a complimentary fit with Kawhi and Paul George. All the jump shooting around him. So he's driving and kicking to good players. Like, dude, that third quarter shift from him last night, between him switching on to Jokic and fronting the post, and he actually won a nice con- contested rebound battle against Jokic and yeah. pushing the pace for easy shots. Get The jump shots he took in that third quarter yesterday, there was one that he took was a bailout at the end of the clock, but the other two he took were like, a wide open 15 footer in a half court set after they had run some action, a wide open three after he passed up a three to try to get someone else a better shot. He took the next one. Like so far the fit has just been way more natural. And it's just as a basketball fan, again, it's been much more fun watching him in this setting. And now the Clippers got other issues. Paul George was so bad in OT. that I don't know if you watched that game last night. Kawhi Leonard completely took over down the stretch and was making every shot. And then Paul George was like, actually, I want to take over now. And like, <laughs> took, took like, uh, took like an impossible fadeaway at the end of regulation that he missed. He took another impossible, like step back to his side, uh, to start overtime, which led to the Jamal Murray three. Then he had the turnover to Mason Plumley, the lob pass. I'm like, why doesn't Kawhi Leonard have the basketball right now? So and Paul George has a whole issue with him taking too many tough shots, uh, as opposed to lying, uh, relying on those when he's in rhythm or to rescue possessions. But I do think it's, it, it's really this simple Russ and his strengths complement the Clippers in a way they didn't the Lakers and as long as they use him properly without playing him in crunch time I actually think he's really going to help them what do you think do you think he's going to help them yes I do yes mm-hmm. I actually wanted to see him in Miami because I felt like he could really help them because they just don't simply they don't have enough talent they're at a talent deficit that was my favorite destination for him yeah. too and I'm, I'm really surprised that Miami didn't just straight up call him and be like dude we want like we actually need you to be Russ here <laughs> you know? so yeah the thing was I guess he got to stay with um in Cali right he didn't have to move he probably liked that part of it and then also like I guess they just felt like Kevin Love was a better fit because they made those moves pretty early right like once they saw they get Kevin Love they just took him yeah, and I would imagine that like that that's a really front off a really smart front office there in Miami, and they were probably looking at it like, yes, we do think he's a talent in, uh, infusion, but can we play him in crunch time? No, okay. What about all of the potential personality things with Russ because he's very finicky about the way that he's used, and maybe they well, just mean, decided it was more th- trouble than th- it was worth. People thought these things about Jimmy though, and it worked out well, right? That's a good point, but Jimmy's a much, much better player. <laughs> he is. He is. Fair enough. That is a true statement, Jason. Great stuff. Where can we hear you talk basketball, man? Talk to us. Tell me. So you guys can uh, follow me on Twitter at underscore Jason LT. I tweet through a lot of games and I'll tweet out show links and stuff like that. You can find the show at uh, the Volumes YouTube channel and you can find it wherever you get your podcasts under Hoops Tonight. Thanks so much for taking the time, Jason. Talk soon. Thank you, Combo. I'll see you next time, brother. Yes, sir. There it was. Another episode of Combo's Court. Thank you so much to everyone who tuned into the show across the globe. Big shouts to Jason for returning to the show. Always great talking basketball with Jason. And you know the vibes. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe. Be on the lookout for episode 449. Combo out.